like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue our worship here together. Philippians chapter 4. We've uh, been making our way through this great letter of Paul. If you'd like to use one of the church Bibles, you'll find our reading on page 982. I'd like to say, how about that? When we started, we were on page 980. Now we're on 982. So we're flying. And... uh, we have, we're two more weeks here in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, and, and just a great passage in front of us this morning, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 to 9. Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. This is what Paul writes. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Suntike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in the scriptures, that not only do we find in the Bible the way of salvation, but we also find instruction in Christ for the nitty-gritty of life. And so we pray this morning that as we turn to the scriptures, as we come and meet with you with our Bibles open, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we might understand And that in understanding, we might apply all that you would have for us this morning. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for our adoption as sons and daughters, for our inclusion in the church. We pray that you would help us to live well as members of your church. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's no doubt that you and I live in a world absolutely shattered by chaos, conflict. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, currently, there are seven armed conflicts which have a critical impact on U.S. interests. Eleven which have a significant impact on U.S. interests. And ten which have a limited impact on U.S. interests. It seems to me the kind of conversations that dominate water cooler conversation are conversations that sort of revolve around strife 
workplace drama, disagreement. And I've noticed that in the world around us, we hardly ever meet someone who isn't affected by sometimes paralyzing anxiety. But the gospel, the message of Christ and him crucified, risen and ascended, is presented in the New Testament as the gospel of peace. So I wonder if it might just be, in this day and age, in this generation, at this time, if living a life of gospel peace might not just be our most powerful, our most visible, our most tangible, apologetic, for the Christian faith that we have. A life of peace. Now the passage in front of us this morning seems at first to lack any sort of theme or controlling idea. At first blush, it almost looks like just a, a list of disparate commands. But I want all of us to see this morning that Paul's main theme, his main burden for the Philippians and for us is the idea of peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace that brings men and women into the realm of peace. And when we frame things in that way, looking down at the passage, we can see that this theme emerges from every word. So that in verses 2 and 3, Paul urges us to pursue peace in our relationships with other Christians. Then in verse 4 all the way through verse 7, Paul urges us to pursue peace in our disposition, the way that we present ourselves to a watching world. And then finally in verses 8 and 9, Paul's command here or his, his exhortation is to pursue peace in our thought lives. This is the nitty gritty of following Jesus, being called by the gospel of peace into the realm of of peace. I want to just dive in into the passage and see what God would have to say to us at First Baptist from Philippians about this realm of peace in which we've been called into. And I want us to first look at this idea of the call to pursue peace in our relationships with other Christians. Look at verses 2 and 3 one more time. Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Suntike to agree in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? God's word is so concerned with the nitty gritty of life as a believer that it commands us to do things like agree. Now we don't know much about Euodia and Suntike. I can tell you that I've never seen their names at the sort of the top of the list of the trendiest baby names for the year. I would vote for Suntike. Her, her name means good fortune. Favorite song was Luck Be a Lady Tonight. That was bad. All right, I'll never do that again. Anyways, we don't know much about Euodia and Suntike other than what we can figure out from the text. Paul would not command them to agree if they weren't at present disagreeing. There's a division in the midst of the church, that Paul thinks absolutely necessary to handle. Agree. 
Euodia, Shunsuke. You're going to have to fix whatever is dividing you. You're going to have to hash it out. You're going to have to have Christian courage that brings the two of you in a room together with vulnerability and forgiveness and reconciliation. That's basic. What he says beyond that is stunning. Well, if Euodia and Suntike won't get in a room and work out their problems, verse 3, I ask you also, true companion, be a proper name or just some random believer in the church, I ask you to help these women. If Euodia and Suntike can't get in a room together, maybe you'll have to go and pull them into a room together. But as things stand, the status quo won't work. Friends, if you think about this for a moment, think about our mission, our task given from the Lord Jesus himself. We have a message of forgiveness, a message of reconciliation, a message of grace, which we are called to go and give to a dying and a lost world. What do we look like if we tell the world around us that we have the message of forgiveness and reconciliation and grace, but we can't forgive and be reconciled to one another? It's preposterous in the eyes of the world. You and I, as a church family, will never get ahead if we don't get along. And sometimes that's going to call us to have the Christian courage to work out our problems. Euodia, Suntike, get in a room. Yoke fellow, if they won't, pull them in. Hash it out. Let's apply the gospel of peace to our personal relationships. I was watching a cartoon with Henry the other week. It was like a superhero cartoon. It was a team of superheroes. And at the beginning of the episode, the sort of two leaders of the group have this falling out. And the entire episode is devoted to the rest of the team trying to sort out the differences between the two of them so they can get on with their mission. You can learn a lot from children's cartoons, you know? There's this understanding that a team that's divided against itself can't move forward. So it is in the church. Look at the way that Paul reasons for their reconciliation, their agreement in the Lord. We don't know what they disagree over. We don't know how serious but he says, help these women who have, here it is, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. That's the language of partnership, pure and simple. And if you think about it for a moment, it doesn't take much logical imagination to realize that if Paul stands here, arms locked with Yodia, other arm locked with Suntike, striving for the gospel, that there was a happy time when Paul could move out of the center and Euodia and Suntike 
locked arms together in the gospel. The tragedy of this disagreement is that it has separated legitimate believers from their mission. To not address the problem is absolutely inexcusable. And most of the time, most of the time when some sort of disagreement like this comes up that we don't want to handle, we sort of tell ourselves in our mind, well, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Let it simmer for a little bit beneath the surface and a couple months later we won't even recognize it anymore. But you and I all know when you let something simmer heat gets turned up a notch, gets turned up another notch and before you know it things aren't simmering, they're boiling. Paul says handle your business. Forgive as Christ forgave. Work it out. Not only because you've been fellow workers together, but look at the rest of the verse, whose names are in the book of life. This is the only time Paul ever uses this phrase. It's thoroughly biblical, it's found all throughout the Old Testament, it's heavily concentrated in Revelation. The idea is that there's a role of heavenly citizenship called the book of life. Those who know the Lord Jesus are written in that book. Paul says, you know, I know two names for sure that are on that list. Euodia and Suntike. Ladies, you're going to be together forever. Forever. And if we are heaven citizens, if we're a colony of heaven then we ought to be trying to bring the life of heaven down into the church. There are no disagreements, there's no division in the new heavens and the new earth. So handle your business. I love the way that D.A. Carson discusses this. He's the uh, New Testament chair at Trinity in Chicago. He writes this, Some honest differences of opinion among genuine believers could be resolved, if they would take the time to sort out why they were looking at things differently, and if they would take their views and attitudes and submit them afresh, self-critically to the scriptures. But many disputes will not be resolved because those who are quarreling will neither take the time nor deploy the energy to study the scriptures together. Where there are disagreements of principle, argue them out. Take out your Bibles, think things through, find out why you are disagreeing, and be willing to be corrected. Take out your Bibles. Work it out. Sort through the mess. Is that a relevant word for us? Are there Euodias and Suntikes in this room? I'm sure there are. Don't look now because you'll give it away. But I'm sure that there are some folks that when you see them in the lobby, you make a duck down the children's wing as quickly as you possibly can. question is, is Jesus the Savior who forgives and pursues? And if he is, maybe next time you don't duck down the children's wing, you hang out in the lobby. And loved ones, maybe some of us just see this happening. And we have the attitude, well, I could never mix in. Paul says, hey, companion, 
help. We will never get ahead in gospel ministry if we can't get along. Yes, there will be times where separation is necessary, where issues cannot be resolved. But by and large, 99% of the time, all it takes is an open Bible, an open heart, and a willingness to communicate. Pursue peace in your personal relationships. Number two, pursue peace in your disposition. That's verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Christian disposition is one of joy. Joy. Paul thinks it's so important that he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. There's an old preacher, Welsh guy, Martin Lloyd Jones. He was a physician, then he became a preacher. How about that? He's known, he's famous for preaching one word, one phrase, a sermon. He comes to his congregation one morning and he preaches, rejoice in the Lord always. Comes back the very next week and preaches again, I will say rejoice, preaches the exact same sermon he did the week before. How about that? That'd be amazing. You're not quite there yet, neither am I, so I'm not going to try that. But Lloyd-Jones did that. Notice what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not in your circumstances that go up and down. Not in your hardships. Not in your circumstance, but in the Lord who's unchanging. Who's dealt with your biggest problems. He's been the solution to your sin. Rejoice. Secondly, in terms of our disposition, not only joy, but gentleness, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everywhere else in the New Testament, the ESV translates this word gentleness. I understand that idea. Those around us, not only in the church, but outside the church, shouldn't fear when they approach us or when they talk to us that we're going to chew them out, bite their heads off. Gentle, forbearing. Let everyone see that. Disposition. The Lord is near, Paul said. The capstone, the climax of all this amazing Christian disposition is peace. Pursue peace, Paul says, in your disposition. You'll never rejoice. You'll never be gentle if your world is turned upside down by worry. So Paul says, pursue peace. Look at the text. He says, do not, verse 6, be anxious about anything anything are you kidding me be anxious for nothing and he realizes the 21st century we invent things to be worried about if you're anything like me you're worried about your work you're worried about food you're worried about clothing you're worried about your family your relationships your health your future your past when you're really thinking, even your present, we're worried about who our friends are, who our friends aren't, whether or not our favorite sports team will do better this year than last, perpetually so if you're a Browns fan. We worry about whether we locked the door, turned off the coffee pot, took our medicine, or whether we've forgotten something important that we ought to be worried about. That's just me. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul says. 
what's so brilliant about the Bible is that Paul not only puts his finger on the pulse of the problem, we worry too much, but he gives us a Jesus-centered solution to the problem of worry. You see what he says? He says, don't be anxious about anything, but here's what you do. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul is not sort of out of the loop of human existence. He knows what it's like to be a human. If you look in chapter 2 and verse 28, Paul tells the Philippians that he's eager to send Epaphroditus so that he, quote, may be less anxious. He understands exactly what it's like. He says, when worry creeps in, pray. God is sovereign over everything. God commands the morning. God places the stars in the sky. God clothes the birds. And Paul says, so you can pray to him. You can trust him. There is no worry you have that's too great for God and no worry that's so insignificant that he wouldn't care. Here's 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, love Peter, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you see why worry is, is incongruent with Christianity? Worry is to be a practical atheist. It's to doubt whether or not God cares for me. No, Peter says God cares for you. He cares not only about your eternal salvation, he cares about the food that you're going to eat. He cares about clothing you. He cares about your job. He cares about what you care about. So cast your concerns on him. Now this is wonderful enough. But do you see this invitation, this command to prayer has a promise attached to it. An amazing promise. A promise that's for you and for me. He says, when we do this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the kind of disposition you want? While all of your coworkers are freaking out, and comes to you and says, you know, you don't seem all that troubled. Why not? And you know, come to think of it, I don't even realize, I don't even understand it myself. I know the Lord, I've been praying. It surpasses understanding. The word that Paul uses for guard here is the language of a garrison, a soldier. Standing guard over your heart and over your mind. A couple weeks ago, we were back in Cleveland and we were walking down East 4th Street. If you're not familiar with Cleveland, East 4th Street, it's all pedestrian traffic, it's all foot traffic, it's lined with restaurants, part of the uh, city's rejuvenation. Got ways to go, but we're making some, some headway. Um, and we're walking down the street, and this guy, is, right as we walk by, he just like immediately snaps. I've never experienced anything like it. And he's yelling, and he's screaming, and he's cursing, and now he's following us. And I'm carrying Henry, and in the midst of all of this, he's looking over my shoulder, and he's going, Daddy, what's, what's wrong with that man? Why is he yelling? Why is he coming to this? And I turn Henry's head around, and I said, Henry, we're going to just keep walking. I've got you, and I will always protect you. Now, I can tell you right now, 
that I didn't say that because I have an overinflated view of my physical ability in the case of something went down. By the way, could you imagine having to bail your pastor out in Cleveland for an altercation on East 4th Street? I guess stranger things have happened. But the reason I told him that was that I wanted him to have peace of mind. You know, you and I, will pay a premium for peace of mind. You put that alarm system on your home. Peace of mind. Why'd you buy that additional insurance package? Peace of mind. Why'd you set two alarms this morning? Not because you wanted to come hear me preach. Peace of mind. Here's the promise. When worry creeps in, peace of mind is yours because Jesus has purchased it for you. Is God not your father? Does he not care for you? Did Jesus not bleed for that to be the case? Pray. Pursue peace in your disposition. Finally, we'll have to move sort of quickly. Pursue peace in your thought life, verses 8 and 9. Finally, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, here's the verb. Think. Think about these things. Fill your mind with these things. Loved ones, Christian discipleship has everything to do with your brain. You do not have to be the smartest person in the room. I'm very seldom that. But you do have to be a thinking person. My fear is that we have inadvertently widen the chasm between head and heart to our damage. You hear that all the time. I have a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. A head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. Christian discipleship begins in your mind. Every deed of obedience begins as a thought. Every spiritual truth that warms your affections in Christ begins as a kernel in your mind. The way that we think has everything to do with our discipleship. Paul says, think. Think about what, Paul? Well, I'll tell you. Think about what's true. That which accords with the gospel. Think about what's honorable. That would elicit the praise of both believers and unbelievers. Think about what is just, right, fair, righteousness. Think about whatever is pure as opposed to unclean. That's sexually, morally, theologically clean. Whatever is lovely. This word is amazing. It could be a Beethoven symphony or a Shakespearean sonnet. Or, I don't know, your favorite punk rock song if you're so inclined. But whatever is lovely. Whatever is um, worthy of praise, he goes on. I'm sorry, commendable, meaning sounding well. If there's anything excellent or upright morally, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There's disagreement about whether Paul's just taking a list from the Stoics and saying, yeah, that, that stuff's good. Or if he's trying to be just imminently biblical, I think he might be doing both. 
He's saying scripturally and culturally, whatever's worthy of your thought life, think about those things. But here's the deal. That is absolutely impossible to do like this. You can only do that like this. Paul is commanding us to pursue peace in our thought lives by submitting our minds, letting our minds be shaped, molded, fashioned, influenced by God's revelation in the scriptures. This is why we're on every week about take a Bible, take a Bible. They're free. We'll give you two. How many do you need? We'd love to give you one. Because we understand that the Christian life cannot be lived apart from the Bible. Spurgeon once looked at someone who had a Bible that was completely tattered. And he said, you show me a Bible that's falling apart and I'll show you a Christian who isn't. The life of the mind. Think about these things. And then Paul takes this almost, it seems like a a complete 90 degree turn. His focus has been think, think on these things. And then he says, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've learned from me, received, heard, seen, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Does he want me to think or does he want me to practice? Well, again, every deed of obedience begins in the mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it well. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Begins in the mind. Paul says, what did you see in me? What did you learn from me? What did you receive from me? You can't know how I think. So how do I speak? If out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, what kind of things do I talk about? What kind of books do I read? What kind of concerns do I have? Make those true of you as well. And you know why sometimes I think we we sort of, we put serious thinking, Bible studying Christianity on the bottom shelf and kind of move on to bigger and better things? Is that we tend to have this bizarre notion that somehow or another that's irrelevant like if I just simply submit myself to God's word that I need something better I need God's presence Paul here promises God's presence not divorced from the Bible but thinking on scripture he says if you do this the God of peace will be with you do you want peace It's got to be like this. Because as I think God's thoughts after him, you know what starts to happen? God gets in my brain. God gets in my mind. I start to think things in light of what God has said. I start to interpret my whole world in light of what God has said. And I find along the way, every step of the way, That God is present with me in a way that I never knew before. He's there with me in peace. 
and all those things that are true and lovely and commendable and honorable and pure and just and the like. Peace. You know, our world really is completely torn apart by chaos. We know it in our own lives. We know it in the lives of those around us. I wonder if it might just be that if you and I would commit ourselves to living a life of gospel peace, people would notice. I mean, those First Baptist people, they're weird, man. They're peaceful all the time. They have fights, but then they forgive one another, like, almost immediately. I've never seen anything like it. They're always at peace when the world seems to be spinning out of control around them. They're content. And, man, the things that they think about, it's, like, pure and righteous and clean and truthful. They seem to walk around like God's with them all the time. And then we swoop in and say, ah, because he is. And he will be for you. You ever heard the gospel of peace? Love to share that with you. Peace is a partnership. Pursue peace in your relationship with other believers. Pursue peace in your disposition. And pursue peace in your thought life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you have called us to yourself through the gospel of peace, that where there used to be enmity and strife between us and you, you have dealt with by pursuing us in Christ. That Jesus has laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sin to bring us into this realm of peace. And so we pray that you would help us each and every day as a group of believers here at First Baptist to pursue peace amongst one another. We pray that wherever we find discord, that we would be quick to forgive and to work out our issues. We pray that you would help us to have a peaceful disposition, even when the world is spinning out of control around us, and that you would help us again and again to submit our minds to think on things that are true and pure and lovely, the things that we find in your word and the things that we find in our culture that is actually in line with your word. And that we might know your presence with us all the time. Father, you are the God of peace. And we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we stand for our closing benediction. This is Paul to the church in Rome. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Go in his hope. Take a Bible on your way out.